Scratch the surface of the hospitality industry in Barossa and there's one mentor that will keep appearing. He spent 30 years digging into the food story of Barossa, one that goes well beyond a dish on a plate. He's the history buff who has constantly rolled up his sleeves to build our future through our food and the people who produce it. So let's play the six degrees of Mark McNamara. Well, that's a really great idea. I'm going to make my biscuits the same way. And all of a sudden you've got a regional food story that's just been born. For honey biscuits and uh, please don't ask me to do it in general. <laughs> and I think when we look back in 20 years time and say, wow, that was really something supported Dragon three times, Mental as Anything, The Choir Boys, The Angels, The Divinals. He'd miss the ball and I have to explain to him, no, you can't re-hit it. I must have hit it. <laughs> the great live Yabby event of 1996. Dog in the back of the boat that was being fed meat pies on the way over. <laughs> Nothing awkward about that, man. But please, call me Dave. It's just us. The stories of Barossa told by Barossans. Hosted by the vintage whisperer, winemaker and aspiring actor Stuart Bourne. With wine educator, marketing director and complete new import legend to the Barossa, Amanda Longworth. And why the hell does every Barossan, except me, have a yabby story? Good afternoon, Mark McNamara, chef and mentor. Welcome today. Thank you. Um, first question I'd like to ask you about is your move to Barossa almost 30 years ago and the opening of a small restaurant called the Pear Tree Cottage, as I understand, which ultimately gained cult-like status in the region and beyond, probably. Just wanted to understand a little bit of your inspiration behind that venture. The move to Barossa really came about from a, a, a little job I took in late 89. I had finished a job with a big hotel and I was looking for getting back into the kitchen and really cooking. And there was an advert in the paper that said, you know, Chef Wanted, Barossa, small hotel, fine dining room. Thought, that, that, that sounds to me, I've had two years now of running the Festival Centre and other big gigs, big international hotel properties. So it was a case of like, I want to get back and cook. So I took this job, which was disastrous because I was promised <laughs> the world. We've all had it, you know, you can do whatever you want. But... Uh, when it came down to it, it was, it was quite a lot. No, you can't do that. And the previous chef used to do this. And at the end of it, was like, oh, I'm leaving. But on day one of that gig, uh, I was sent up to Linky's by the owners to pick up the meat order. And the meat order that day was just some Luxington. And so I, I gone and got this order. I don't know what it is. I get back to the kitchen. I unwrap it. And I've been back from Europe, say, about four years. And that whole European culture of food and wine was really part of my DNA. So I took, took this piece of, this is interesting, put it in my mouth and was like, oh, holy, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I have to, you know, I have to learn more about this. And so in the three months I did this gig, I, um, I started to scratch the surface of what was in the brosser and, and learned that there was a food culture here that was like nowhere else. This was like being in Europe. I found this little enclave. Now, I'd been to the brosser as a kid an awful lot, mum and dad, um, but, you know, now I'm an adult and I've got a food brain and I'm trying to go and build my own portfolio could open a restaurant to come here and have that experience was like okay I've got to get back here I was living in Gawler at the time my wife and I when we came back from Europe we bought a house in Gawler because it was like well I can always I work in Adelaide the trail train's quite good but you know it's always brossed up the road if I know they've got restaurants there so about two years later I'd, I'd been working with a fine dining room in Adelaide and um, one thing led to another and I wanted to we were actually looking to move to New Zealand because I couldn't do the kind of restaurant in Australia that I wanted to do. Every time I went to the bank and said, I want to open a 30-seat restaurant, the bank manager would say, no. 
So we went to Auckland, and my best mate had just moved there as a sommelier, and he was a wine distributor, and we were went out for dinner a few times, and every restaurant was 30 seats. I was like, hey, this culture's different here. You know, I can do what I want. So we came home, put the house on the market, and my mum came along and said, why are you moving so far? We had two young kids. We had a five-year-old and a one-year-old. And mum's like, where are you going? Mum lived in Kabunda, and she said, uh, and I said, look, mum, we can't do what we want to do here. And she pulled this crinkled piece of paper out of her purse, which was from the Adelaide Review, and it said, restaurant residence for sale. It was like, oh, I really like the bar, so we'll go and have a look at this. And we walked into the place and went, done. So we ended up moving 30 kilometres instead of, what, 3,000 or 4,000. <laughs> um, but one of, the, one of the motivating factors was I knew we had a great food culture and I knew we had great wine. So we moved up to Pear Tree, bought the property in 92, and we opened it late 93. No, but I think we opened it on the weekend of the last Grand Prix. <laughs> so... <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Mark, during the 90s, there was there was a huge amount of evolution in the Barossa food scene, of which you were a very big part of. And when it comes to regional promotions, there's, there's two stories that I just wanted to touch on to see if you could shed some light on. One is a Wine Australia gig in Sydney, which is quite famous for your participation. And the other one involves a, a pie on a Hazel Murphy wine flight. Can you shed some light? I can. I'm just going to go one back, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that bringing together and the collaboration, the first one I was involved with was St. Margaret Lehman put together, which was the original mm. butcher, baker, winemaker trail, which wow. was a launch for Vintage Festival. And that started over at Richmond Grove, and there were stations, which was Rieslings, I think it was Sparkling Reds, Rieslings, Wooded Whites, and then it was Light Reds and Full Body Reds. And you moved the stations from Richmond Grove down to the creek, over to some woods, across to the butchers, and uh, it was each 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 venue had two or three restaurants collaborating with two or three winemakers. It was it was absolutely amazing, and I guess that brought me into the fold. So at that point there, collaboration became really important. So having worked with you know the Sandors and the Michael Vermards and uh, all the chefs that were working in the valley at the time, the Maggies, the Marjorie Coates, the it was a big, big thing. And to meet all these food producers who were on the ground, it really was like a fast track to what Barossa is. And it kind of lit the light bulb even further. So then we move on to, I got the, the, the pie thing first for Hazel. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so you know, I used to do quite a bit of work with McLean. He was, um, as we all know, Sir Lancelot was just a, a character. The great Bob. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I got a call one day from McNamara. I need, a, um, I need something. We've got Hazel Murphy coming on a wine flight. And we've got all these journalists and we've got, we need one thing to serve with all our wines. I was like, geez, Bob, that's a really hard task. You know, food and wine, it's a difficult thing. And I I want it to be, represent the Barossa as well. Another layer. And so I sat down and thought about it and made a little picnic pie, which was potato and fried onions and fresh cheese and Luxington. And it's something I still do today. The first time I ever made that dish was for the wine flight. And it was made in mind with their... A semion, I think it was, and a GSM. It might, be, or it might have been, been like poachers and uh, gamekeepers. The two wines that they they're kind of entry level wines, but the whole idea was that it went with everything. It was a, it was wine friendly. It didn't dominate, but it told the story. And suddenly, this dish, everyone wanted that dish at every event that we did because it told, it went with wine and it told the process story. And it's. Uh, I think I even cooked it for you guys for lunch one day. You you have. I was about to say, I have had it. And uh, if you're happy to share the recipe, that's something we might also include in this little Uh, episode. It was was a really good... um, It was a good way of actually combining that 
old culture of both uh, the Germanic heritage and the British heritage, if you like that. That notion of a pie is a very solidly British thing. Uh, potatoes and onions uh, and then on the other side you've got this fresh cheese and smoked meats and it does it just sings with food mm. uh, it sings with wine so it's just a really simple picnic pie now the infamous wine australia gig <laughs> well, in sydney town that you speak about which is a beautiful story so that that really came about did one before which was a kind of template in melbourne and then again mclean um was always a mover and shaker and a Based on the fact that I actually had to do all the catering in Sydney out of my brother's flat, he uh, he booked an apartment for me in Melbourne, I think it's in Little Collins Street, and my apprentice and I went over to cook. So we took over eight big foam boxes of food, which were all labelled wine, because um, really wasn't going to be able to cook in a room. So the room turned out to be a lovely four-bedroom apartment overlooking Little Collins Street, but it had a tiny little domestic kitchen, like a little domestic oven and a and a four-burner hot plate, and we had tons of food to cook. We needed to make sauces and stocks. One of the boxes of, we had had live yabbies in, um, as you do. <laughs> the infamous Barossa live yabbies <laughs> yeah, again. They, they seem to go everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So we did no more than run out to find the nearest mile of 10 and bought a couple of butane burners and down to Chinatown and got some, a few pots. And we sat these out on the Juliet balconies overlooking Collins Street, and we proceeded to cook through the night. We were sharing the house with a, a couple of, I think you would call them, Party boys at the time, um, who went out and they came back about four in the morning. And my apprentice and I were still up cooking. We'd been up to the the twenty four hour coals about four times. And they said, "Boy, you boys are up early." And I was like, "I haven't gone to bed yet." <laughs> so we ended up packing all the food we prepared into these boxes, relabeled them wine, put them in a taxi, drove to Jeff's shed, went through security because there was no food allowed in. It was all wine, and then we ducked behind the barrier and proceeded to unpack that and made you know catered for masterclasses and the Barossa store was just packed because no one, everyone else had you know the corporate catering pies pasties <laughs> and sandwiches and the Barossa had you know little yabby tartlets and the luxury can pie the infamous luxury can pie um, pâtés terrines the whole bits and pieces but, but went back to the hotel did it all again good time so would you say Mark that Barossa has a food story that's distinct from the other regions in South Australia I'd say distinct from any regions in Australia full stop right I think it's it's distinct in the sense that it had a, had a, a very unique base, and I'm sure other people have talked about the, the historical side of it. But you know, there were, was an ethnicity to the food settlers that then evolved with the environment. You know? So while while Europe went through all its changes over the two world wars, the people that came here were kept in a really kind of tight community, mm. and those foods underpinned everything that came from it. Mm. So you scratch the surface. And that stuff's still there. So, Mark, with your your background as one of the great movers and shakers in the, the story of food in the Barossa, another story that I would like to hear you share is one that sticks in my mind, which started with a generation's lunch and a Metworst tasting with a wine options game. Yeah, um, this is a cracker, because this underpins that whole thing about whether you've got a food culture. Uh, the fact that we'll argue about cucumber salad or bacon the origin of it which bakery you go to you know yeah it's you know who's got the biggest yabby you know all that stuff <laughs> um, you know that's a barossa that's a brothel rivalry but it's also it defines a culture so this this 
notion of a met worst options game, which when I was first floated to me, it's like, oh no, this is silly. But ran with it, and uh, so we've got 300 experts in the room, and we've got some ring-in met worst from the Riverland, we've got some kangaroo met worst, we've got most of the major you know producers. That, those days it was Schultz's, it would have been Linky's, I reckon that's something Mount Pleasant, uh, all, or everyone's favourite met worsts. And we went through the tasting and asking those questions, sit up, stand, hand on head, with all that stuff. And we ended up with two people, so I think it was Ben Redford and Dave Lehman standing at the end there and the final question was the, the final metworth to taste is this metworth from the brosser and it was a yes and no and Ben said yes Dave said no and it actually was it was Linky's plain metworth and mm-hmm. then Dave cried foul as a run up he said you can't do that it's not fair no one bloody eats plain metworth they only eat <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I don't use the word bloody but there we go <laughs> Mark, do you think it's possible to evolve our food culture while we simultaneously honour the history of it? Absolutely. So all food cultures evolve. You know, if you if you look at the food that Italians brought to Australia in the 1950s and you look at what's evolved in Italy since then, mm. migrants tend to keep their, their culture very tight because it's a familiar thing for them. So in a place that's got an... And that doesn't necessarily evolve. So Italian restaurant food culture for a long time was rooted in the 1950s. The Barossa, for a long time, for the first 50 or so years, was rooted in that Germanic culture. But what's happened is we've seen that evolution, and that continues. I'll give an example. You know, if you if you look at any restaurant, most restaurants in the Barossa will be using olive oil. So olive oil was something medicinal to the, to the people that settled. Mm. Olive oil is now intrinsic to our cuisine. Something that, that's old can also be new. So while we talk about you know, dill pickles being Barossa tradition or sauerkraut, every young chef worth their salt today is doing lactic fermented vegetables. As long as they've got a beard and a checkered shirt, that's fine. They're going to be doing the same. And fermented sausages. Everyone talks, you know, Metwurst is the classic fermented sausage, but there are many other versions of fermented sausage, so they fit into our lexicon. They carry on. It might not be the same Metwurst that people made 50, 60, 70 years ago, but there are versions of a fermented sausage from pork that will carry on through, and that will still be part of the Brussels food culture because the food culture here is built on fermentation and preservation. Mm. It was that thing about frugality. And that continues in modern-day cuisine. You know, the, the, the days of foie gras and caviar and lobster being like the high points of fine dining probably 20 years ago. What we're looking at now is much more honest representation, things that come from closer to home, and that taste damn good with our wine. And we evolve this synergy between wine and food at a local level. I think that, you know, if you look at the great wine places in the world, there is a cuisine that goes with it. You know, the cuisine of Bordeaux is different from the cuisine of Bordeaux or Alsace. And the cuisine of Barossa is distinctly different from other wine regions in Australia. You won't get the same food flavours here that you get in Margaret River or you'll get in the Yarra. The approach to food is influenced by the past, but influenced by societal change here. So the migrants we get coming in, the people who've moved to the Barossa because they find it such a great place. So just on that, when you talk about moving to the Barossa, you know, the new generation in or the old generation that have always been here. Over the years, you've nurtured a huge amount of Barossa's food talent identities, you know, to, to name but a few, which I'd love you to talk about. So your mentoring role, which you're very famous for, has led to the rise of so many local identities. You want to expand on that a bit. Yeah, and look, it's beautiful. A lot of that is down to the people that work for you and the environment you create. So at Pear Tree, we were, uh, I was very lucky I had Joanne there. My wife, she's um, she's a great mentor too and uh, a great nurturer. And uh, and I think when we see, you know, the, the people that have come through over the years, oh look, there's one sitting very near us who, who actually 
um, started out with us. But people that we had working with us have gone on to do great things. I mean, my first apprentice at Pear Tree is now running uh, a big restaurant in Atlanta. When I closed the restaurant, he went to work for Pete Clark at Fitness. And then, because when I closed the restaurant, it was like, I'll find you a job. I found him a job with Peter. When he finished the apprenticeship, he went to America. And now he's working in New Orleans. But then you look at Appalachian was a great place. Uh, Jim Carragher gave me an amazing scope to build the team. So Karen Rosler, who used to, who still works in the Valley, but, you know, ended up having um, Fig 22 in Gawler was my first sous chef. The next one was actually Ryan Edwards, who's out at Artisans. Jamie Wall, who's running Harvest Kitchen, was my apprentice at Appalachian. Who else we got? We got uh, Sonny, Sonny Chowler, who was my sous chef at St Hugo, uh, is now up at uh, Harvest Kitchen, and also Dan Murphy, who is uh, currently at 11 in Adelaide. They all came through that system, and it was always about trying to find the right people to tell the right story about Brossa Food. And giving them the encouragement and support to go on and do things, to explore their palate, to explore the things that excited them about food, and introduce them to the Brossa culture, to in- introduce them to, you know, we we were foraging before foraging was cool, we were fermenting before fermenting was cool, you know, we always <laughs> made our own cheeses and meats at Appalachian back in, what, 2006, 2007, mm. way before it was a, in, a, in a book or Noma was on the horizon. So, and they were things because it was about food at its essential not about what's trendy not about what's in the gourmet traveler book or whatever it was always about what tells a story about Barossa what grows here what can we do with it and how can we link it with the wine culture that's really been the story so as an extension of this notion of nurturing that we've just been talking about there was a recent event held at the Barossa cellar called Master's Apprentices would you like to touch on the thought process behind that event yeah, look, I think that was a, it was a great event for the Brossa. And I think we will look back in 20 years' time and say, wow, that was really something. We'll talk, I'll be talking about this, like, or some of you will be talking about this, like uh, I was talking about events in Sydney. It's, <laughs> I think it's one of those points in time. And it really came out of a conversation in many ways that I had with Dan Murphy when we were working at St Hugo and trying to work out how we could get the chefs better connected. And we, I put out a call saying, going to be at the pub, on the Greenwich Tavern at 6.30 on a Monday to all, all the chefs I knew on Facebook. I got six responses and I thought, well, I'll have a beer with six chefs. Ended up getting 24 chefs there. Amazing. And so we started meeting and we called us with the Facebook group called Chefs at Barossa. And that started moving things along. We've, we've had a few little get-togethers with some skills development, uh, met, introduced them to the farmer's market. The Master's Apprentice event came about through Tasting Australia. I was working with RDA by this stage. I'd actually left St Hugo during the COVID close down. And we wanted to have an event for the Brossa. And I got talking with Emily Hay from Brossa Grape and Wine and came up with the concept of a thing called Master's Apprentices. So this was not about apprentices. This was about people who've done their apprenticeship, done their time and were becoming the masters to the next generation. So they were going to be the mentors for the next people coming through. But they hadn't quite got to the stage where their names were up in lights. And it was the same with the winemakers. So we had six chefs and ten winemakers working together on an event. It was one of the first events at the Brossa Cellar to celebrate that space too. And it was a huge success. It, it, it was so good to see six chefs who knew each other maybe come together, create a menu around wine, around the wines that the young winemakers have chosen and to put a flag in the sand and say, this is new Barossa. This is contemporary Barossa. Uh, all the history of everything we've done was in the background, but it was a kind of a new, staking a new claim. And it's just about that, that connectivity that this region thrives on. 
You use the term connectivity a lot, and I, I really love that because I've always seen you very much as, and I think you do, as the guy that joins the dots, who brings people together in this food space. And if we step back from the table with the consumer and we go back through the kitchen to the back of the kitchen door where the, the produce arrives, I think one of your great successes in this region has also been when you talk about foraging, you're not just finding something growing in the wild, you're finding the people that grow and your ability to seek out farmers of the future and forage these products has been extraordinary. You know, tell us about some of the people you've met while you've been out looking for ingredients. Oh, look, I think one of the things that comes straight back to Petri College, to be quite honest. So once the kind of doors have been opened about what Barossa was, and look, Maggie had been a trailblazer in this. I mean, she had cultivated a lot of people to grow small things, and then it became the same. So for three vintage festivals in Greenwich, we did a thing called the Greenwich Harvest Dinner, where we did every ingredient and every wine within five miles of Greenwich. The only thing we had was salt, sugar, and flour weren't from the town or near the town. So, and we did this, there were seven course decks. So down to wow. down to getting milk and illegally making cheese to <laughs> getting ducks and yabbies and from people's dams, like mushrooms, all of those things. It came from around the town. And it and what that showed is that you know, that's possible in Europe, it happens all the time and a little village will have its little fate and they'll cook what's from that region. And we showed that that was possible in Greenwich. And we did the first one we did was for 30 people in Petri College. The next year we did one night for 70 people at the Greenwich Town Hall. Oh, not Town Hall, the Greenwich Institute. And the third year we did two nights for 70 people at the mm-hmm. Greenwich Hall. Uh, and that was the last one of those was in, I think, 99. So you want to talk about before we get to uh, what you would call the, the cult of locavore. You know, this is pre-2000. No one was talking about locavore. No one was talking about local cuisine. But it was that thing that we realised that in the Brossa we have this captured food economy and the farmers market's been so important for carrying that on and will continue to be. You know, the, the farmers like the Hutton Bowers, everyone knows them and people now will come to the Brossa and they will look out for these producers, whether it's the dairy man for their pork or or gumshy for their pork. And I can't claim fame for bringing them forward, but helping to drive that culture where chefs are looking for good producers, people come out the woodwork. And, you know, it's it'll be the, the lady who grows asparagus, has a has an irrigation channel and comes to you and says, I think you'd like you know, like local food. Would you like some asparagus? And you go, Yes please and you think you're gonna get two bunches and you get a box. Mm. And that box comes week after week after week through the asparagus season. You know, they're the things that are exciting. That we have this wild food, but we also have great producers of great food and it extends beyond the Barossa. There is a food bowl that sits around outside the valley because we've got a lot of grapes now. Uh, we have to realise that you know, we can't we're not gonna pull up our grapes to grow carrots. We've pulled up the carrots to grow grapes. Um, but we need to acknowledge that there's a broader area and we're surrounded by this food bowl. Uh, and we have that, and introducing chefs to those producers, to the young guy who's growing artichokes out down in, towards Gawler, to look at people growing things out in the plains. You know, that's really important. So we'll continue to do that. We'll continue to find those new champions. So... Excellent. I have to say, Mark, it's been a fascinating chat with you. Thank you. Um, so many amazing stories. And we look forward to perhaps having part two at some stage. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And it's been lovely to come and have a yarn about uh, Barossa food. <laughs>